fair to say you simply flooded the system with money? Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. 600000 doesn't seem like that much to possibly lose. Why do you care about getting your money back? My mother taught me something. If you ever disrespect money, you won't have any. It's karma. I, every dollar I make, I kill myself to make it, and I don't want to lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 68 of Pounding the Table. This episode, we'll be getting into some new segments. We got our favorite tweets from Fintwit. China was going absolutely ballistic this week with meme mania, of course, and absolutely ridiculous week in earnings. We're going to walk through Net, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Monkeypox is now a national emergency, which yours truly brought up some calls on Twitter. We made a major call on uh, Monkeypox uh, over on StockTwits with BVNRY, Bavarian Nordic, and Siga. So come on and join us over at StockTwits to continue the conversation. And as always, Tony, let's start out with the trending tickers. We had some crazy earnings this week with Melly kicking things off. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long couple of weeks for me. But uh, yeah, I just want to say I appreciate everyone on FinTwit and all like support and nice words. You know, my dad just had surgery and luckily he's doing really well, but uh, still in recovery. He's pretty tough time and, and like a little scary. So I really, uh, I really appreciate you guys. So thank you. Um, but Avi, let's get right into it because there's a lot of names that are coming up now in the trending tickers that I'm not surprised at all, right? We had like pretty much a crazy earnings run in the last couple weeks of different names. And I think the best part about it is you can really see which names are the ones that people are viewing as like the top cream of the crop, because those are the ones that are moving well on their reports saying that they're like undervalued or they deserve to be higher. For example, we went through Mealy here and we talked about that so many times on the other podcasts we've done in the past. And Stock went all the way back to 600, like where it was pre-COVID. Of course, the company's done incredible amounts of growth underneath the hood there. And we just got a 2.6 EPS print versus a 1.6 beat. So we had like a dollar beat there. So that's pretty crazy in terms of EPS. And like what people want in any times is profitable growth. And so you see that now, like the stock's back over a thousand. And no surprise, it's trending on uh, on stock twits. I'm sure Joey's got something to add there. So with Mercado Libre, I will echo a lot of what Tony said, you know, this company, you know, the stock was off to the races during that post COVID run up or post lockdown run up. And then it almost gave away all of those gains. But so much growth was packed in under the hood, you know, it, it it's almost like, yeah, a lot of growth had pulled forward. But as that stock tanked, the multiple contracted so far to where it was so incredibly attractive. So these are the types of names that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, you know, even Cloudflare, Datadog, ones like those where, you know, those multiples did get stretched, but then they came so far back down to where then they were again at an attractive valuation when you look at it from the right lenses. So it's not surprising to see almost like this coiled spring type reaction that we're getting from Mercado Libre. But if you look at the, the growth they're putting up, their projections for this year, next year, and this is becoming a very, very profitable company. So this is not like, you know, your money losing e-commerce company that you could find uh, across the board. So this is just a different type of monster and one that I think people are now recognizing that if they dumped it, maybe this is something they should circle back on because, you know, the numbers are better than ever. Yeah, I think another thing just 
I've been using this Avi indicator recently and, 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 and it, it's really just kind of been an interesting thing. Like, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the pod and, and you're clearly seeing this with all the other currencies in the world, not being super strong. Like Mealy was one of the most susceptible to FX changes. And so if you think about like them doing this well in this market, like that meme for real right now, like in this market, they did that well being completely in LATAM. That is like really, really impressive. And I think the indicator for that was I saw Goldman put in, I think, 250 million. And I was like, hmm, Goldman, US investing, not US market like this. And then you realize like there's a reason. Right? And that and those are the numbers that they were under the hood. And that's why Goldman said, yeah, I'll, I'll throw you quarter of a billion because you deserve it. And then we had Cloudflare report after the close on Thursday, which is when we're recording this. And it came in revenue growth of 54%. They added, what, 212 large customers, which a large customer for them is over 100,000 in annual revenue. So this company just continues to deliver. And it's another one of those that ran, I think it touched 200 at one point as we were talking. And I think it was like 221, Joey. And if you were looking at it from like a price to sales basis, I want to say at one point it was over 100. It so was. It, it was, was 100. Just, I, I remember saying that fact on the pod. It definitely was. It was just insane. Now, this is one where, you know, free cash flow is still slightly negative, but, you know, the top line growth is great. They're turning that corner towards profitability. So it's in that like gray area that we've talked about before where, yeah, still growing quick. They're not turning the profit that people really need in this type of economic environment. But, you know, reporting great results, raising their outlook. It got people excited to where this one, it was up just over 20% after hours. And this is what we just keep seeing, these high quality companies confirming again why they are the highest quality by continuing to deliver very high growth and you know either maintaining or raising their outlook. And then you see the reaction in the stock where people just get excited. And we have had a couple of weeks of the market just trending up. And there's been a lot of these companies where, yeah, they participated to an extent, but not as much as they probably should have based on how quality their franchise is. So that's where you keep seeing these really outsized moves. Before we get to, into the FANG stocks, um, PayPal, I mean, the chart doesn't look identical to that, but obviously PayPal is another one that just got demolished that we were talking about. We're getting excited about again here with the Venmo just crushing it. I just had the Avi indicator again, my first time paying for something on a website with Venmo. And I was like, holy shit, this is very easy to do. I didn't have to type in my credit card and I just scanned it and it was like two seconds. So, you know, obviously there's more under the hood than Venmo with, with what PayPal's doing. I talked about how that I think one day they're going to potentially take on Shopify and, and allow people to build sites on top of PayPal. Yeah, this is one where I think we started talking about it deeply when it got to like mid 70s, trending into the upper 60s, because this is just one of the highest quality companies you'll find in the world, especially when it comes to financial services. And not only do I use it every time it's available at checkout, I'm going to use it. Same with Venmo. You know, I use it. I use Venmo for everything, sending money to, you know, friends, family, our fantasy baseball league. Everything is Venmo. And even, you know, shopping online using their Honey app, which they own and all these different services. You just see how, how they're just continuing to add these bells and whistles that people really want. Now, I did like the idea of their combination with Pinterest, even though the market wasn't perceiving it all that well. Because what I saw long-term was Pinterest allowing people to check out directly on their website. And if PayPal were the one to be 
you know, acquiring them, then of course you'd be processing those payments via PayPal. And you could see where they'd create the Shopify-like environment where you're going to have your online store, but you're also going to have your store on Pinterest. So I saw the angle they were taking. Now, of course, the market didn't didn't take a, a liking to that. So both stocks have been just obliterated. But the same activist investor is in both Pinterest and PayPal. And I want to say the new Pinterest CEO is a former PayPal executive. So everybody's trying to tie two and two together. Like this activist is coming in to try to you know, get them back together, which doesn't seem like it will happen because PayPal investors were so strongly against it. But, you know, the earnings were decent. I think people are really hyped about Elliott Management being in there because they will almost, you know, force your hand. They they have a very long track record of two billion companies. Yeah. Elliott has a great track record. If you look at what they do, they come in, you know, it's mostly about cost reductions. They're going to want the margins to expand, let it be more profitable. But, you know, when this got down into the upper 60s, PayPal was trading at something like 22, 23 times earnings um, on a forward basis. Like it wasn't a horrible valuation. And then when you look at it, like on sales, it was like less than five times. So it just made so much sense that we were even looking, uh, Avi, you and I were looking on Olive, seeing where, you know, is there even like an options play? And it was incredible to see where you could toggle with this. And it's like, you're risking such little capital and you don't lose money in it, uh, until it hit like $55 per share. So it, it was just so deeply undervalued when I look at it, even from a growth standpoint and, and the stranglehold they have on their market that, yeah, it just made so much sense. And luckily it has played out well. And I still think this stock has significant upside from here if they deliver on their own plans, not to mention what Elliot wants to do with them. I feel like we're saying the same story all over again every time. Like you can see it's very clear, like this is the time where your stock that you are looking at or you own or that you're looking to buy this is where it, like it's going to show what it's made of. And I think it's very telling. Like we always say this on the pod of like the rising tide lifts all boats. And then like the tide receding shows like only the best things stay on the beach. And like this is one of those situations where it's like it literally is like you have a beach ball. It's underwater. And if it's a good earnings, it'll pop through because it's just been so suffocated down. Whether or not it holds is like a completely other question. But there are certain stocks like Neely beating by a dollar like to 2.6 versus like one point. That's a that's a big move. Because analysts have to move their projections up all the time. And if you think about them doing so well in this terrible climate, and if and that goes for every stock, like net went up on its earnings strongly. Like those moves are big money volume. Like people are deciding the price. If you have to like think about it like that. If your stock is getting wrecked on their earnings right now, and there's another stock that's not getting wrecked on its earnings right now. That is the biggest tell for when the market rallies, because what's not getting wrecked right now will rally 10 times harder in the next market cycle than what's getting absolutely obliterated right now in the next like coming years. Like if that were to happen, just because of relative strength, like you're saying, like we're going to talk about Datadog in a second. It's holding up, you know, Amazon got crushed because of COVID, because people thought, hey, this thing did so well during COVID. Now that COVID's over it's going to be the poster child for getting crushed. And, and it didn't. It rallied like 30% from there. So you think about it like that, like it's really telling what companies were undervalued and people are assessing their value in this climate, which is like one of the worst conditions, like, uh, like, you know, you could argue ever and then think that's the company that I'm going to be holding for the next five or 10 years, or that's not the company because of it not doing what I wanted to. It's like really a telling moment. Amazon's a beach stock. You know, you're never going to go to sleep like freaking out like, oh, shit, I own Google. 
Amazon, Microsoft in your portfolio. It's it's the uh, keep it simple, stupid, as Joey. Yeah. Like. Classic Joey. <laughs> it it's, makes so much it's sense. It's one of those things. I, I've talked to, geez, probably like five different people in the last week where we're talking about investing. And, you know, of course, they always want to get cute with things like, oh, I heard about this stock. And I've, I always like to follow it. But, oh, so what do they do? <laughs> Never have a clue. So I always reintroduce the acronym. Yeah, reintroduce the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm like, listen, if you don't know what they do, you don't know what makes what makes the company tick, what goes right, what goes wrong, Gambling. what economic environment do they thrive in, what do they not thrive in. But Amazon, like everybody knows what they do. Google, you know everything they do. It's one of those where if you don't know what you're doing, like keep it as simple as possible. Buy your Amazon, Google, Disney, you know, the best of the best. And I mean, that's actually been a very sound strategy, even, you know, performance wise over the last couple of months. So it's not like keeping it simple means you have to settle with just market returns or less than market returns. Like you can absolutely crush the market by just going with, you know, the most tried and true names out there. Yeah, Joey. And like, I just want to follow that up with like we were discussing on a couple other pods. It's like a lot of those big fang names, the Amazon, Googles, Microsofts and stuff of the world, they were down a considerable amount where like if you're looking at their six, 12, 18 month out calls, like they were getting juicy. Like I was in the 120s for like a year and a half out for like 12, 13 bucks. And, you know, they're well over 30 now. So it's like there's a lot of ways that you can play it with even taking even less risk than actually buying outright shares. But also like those are the names that you start building with, like right? Like those are the ones that you want to have the core of, especially just now, because you've seen Netflix does not deserve to be in there. Facebook, <laughs> extremely questionable at best, but does not deserve to be in there. Like you can tell once again, the stocks that did not go down the most, like those are the ones like the Amazon went down so much because it was so connected to everything that just happened in the last year and a half. But barring that, like Apple didn't really do much down. Microsoft really didn't get hurt too much. Google didn't. And then like another interesting thing that we like to talk about, Joey, is that now they're perfect Dow price. So yep. should we get right into the tin hat ponzinomics of up only unless the world ends or... I think we go to, we didn't touch data dog. They, they just blew it out of the water. Yeah, so, let's go back. Let's go back. A little yeah. bit. So, Tony's down to Tin Hat, man. Hang tight, buddy. <laughs> we, have our, we have our mega caps that, yeah, are the simple calls. And like you were saying, you know, it used to be Fang where, yeah, Facebook and Netflix were in there. But it's almost like this new economic environment we have has completely reshaped the highest quality names where those two are out. But yeah, you still have your Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, and of course, Apple. So those might be just your four that are just going to lead the charge. And that's like the new gold standard when it comes to the mega caps. Like if you think logically, those are the ones that are the most sound. Like they have so many different verticals that they are, like I was explaining to Avi earlier, I was like, even if the market's so, so terrible, like you're going to look up on Google, like where to get a bankruptcy filing. Like you're going to, you're going to still order Amazon probably more because it's cheaper than retail. And there's just, you know, Apple, you're still going to text Avi uh, markets down on your iPhone. So it's like, you know, you yeah. can tell. And you'll play are, you're talking about the, the big customers though. So these guys, I'm just looking at the revenue grew 74% year on year to 406 million for the second quarter. They added about a thousand of the hundred K plus ARR customers. That's wild. I mean, these guys are, are beast mode. So this is what I was telling you about Datadog on the a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about like the highest quality 
you know, these, these tech companies that just continue to thrive. So not only are they growing over 70% on the top line, and you look that 406 million, then of that $60.2 million in free cash flow, like show me another company growing revenues at 70% with those free cash flow margins. On top of that, they continue to do exactly what we talked about on that podcast, where they launched an incredible product and they continue to add on to it because their clients realize like Datadog is the best when it comes to observability. Of course, if they're going to add on APM, all these other things, like their customers are going to want to spend more with them to keep within that Datadog ecosystem. Sounds like Cloudflare. Yeah. So you see they launched observability pipelines products. So you always see on these Datadog releases where they launch some new products and that's just going to be another growth driver for them going forward. So I know they did sandbag guidance and that's something that- I was just going to ask you about that. Originally pre-market, the stock was taking a hit. Sorry. So we ran into some mic issues. Okay. So like I was saying, where Datadog continues to deliver by you know, not only having an incredible product suite, but continuing to build on that. And we saw that in their- net retention rate, which was over 130%. So it shows, you know, every client that spent a dollar last year, now they're spending a dollar 30. So they're going to continue adding products. And that's what Datadog does. They're just going to continue to add to their suite, giving clients more to spend money on. And and that's where you just continue to see, you, you can see companies like ServiceNow have followed this playbook and, you know, the best of the best that have continued to grow at these large rates. We were talking price action in the stock. So they did sandbag guidance. So originally the stock did react by falling in the pre-market. It almost entirely recovered during the day. And I know Tony wanted to talk about this. So I'll toss it over to you. It's continuing to bring me back to the beach ball thing where it feels like these earnings are such big events where I think you're starting to see like runups into the names like before they report, just because if you're really short Datadog from like 200, would you not maybe consider lightening up your short down 50%, right? Like, I mean, lightening up, like covering, like, and when you cover, you buy back shares. And so like shares are going, like it, it makes the flow, the net flow of like where the stock is going more likely to go up if more people are doing that. Right. So like, Sometimes because stocks get so low, they can, that's like little short squeezes. Like it just, when people are getting short squeezed, Avi, they're short. So they're like negative the shares and they have to buy them back. As the price goes up, they're losing like a dollar every time it goes up a dollar. And so like sometimes things fly like crazy, plus you're paying a fee on that. So like if something's just basing for three or four months, which is what a lot of things have been doing, like Datadog is a perfect example, one to 200 obviously ran so much but still great company underneath back at 100 just holding the line between like 80 and 115 like this range se's done the same thing mealy did the same thing for a while i could list a thousand names that are doing the same thing and the ones that are actually succeeding out of it and making a defined local bottom in the at least at least if not actually like for this cycle one of those but at least a local bottom it's really telling to see like those are the ones once again that will be the leaders of the market in the coming decade. HKD, for example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> HKD is a short squeeze. That's what that was. Fair, fair, fair. So speaking of which, China has been in the news, obviously Pelosi going into Taiwan, absolutely going ballistic in the stock market, as well as they just send ballistic missiles right near Taiwan as a warning shot i guess i don't know what what that is we're we're gonna stay out of politics and stick to stocks here but hkd ten thousand percent up in a month 
and you told me to tweet short HKD and I did not, but what did it get dropped like 60% or 30% or something? That's the thing about these is like Tony was saying, you matter know, of time, right? <laughs> it costs money to be shorting because, you know, you have to borrow those shares. So you could attempt to short this and I, I bet you couldn't even if you wanted to. So it's just one of those you see get so out of control. And this is not like a short squeeze memes to I don't know what message board this thing was going up on. But I remember stumbling across this. I don't know if it's after the IPO or uplisting, whatever it did. And just trying to look into what they do. And I didn't know if it was a legitimate company. And then out of nowhere, yeah, the stock was like 12 and 20 and then it was 1300. Like these are the ones where you just kind of watch from the sideline and like, this is not going to end well. These are like market dynamic. Those are like the fundamental things that like underpin everything. Any chart like that, it just is is not a good one. It's just like, it's it's what's so interesting about those. And like, if you look at GameStop and like all these other ones, it's like, such a product of just being like the one or two not perfectly like by institutions by everyone like priced out it's like an inefficiency in the market that people exploit and so it's like these are the ones that short squeeze like crazy like gamestop is like the forever perfect example right like i mean honestly tesla infinite gamma squeeze i mean like another triple split like that's gonna go to 500 again I mean, like Elon will have the most profitable company of all time. Real quick, I, you don't want to talk too much about these because I don't know anything about them besides that they went up. MTC, 390%. AMTD, 242%. And then APDN is not a Chinese stock, 296%. And then Kazoo, is this the start of SPAC mania too here? So Kazoo, well, so, Kazoo is actually a legit company. So that was just a completely failed SPAC, but Kazoo is essentially like Carvana over in Europe. And I was always very interested in this company when it was private. Then because they went the SPAC route, it was hard to touch it. But it was funny. I was texting a buddy of mine, Austin, when this was like 50 cents. And I was like, man, I didn't realize Kazoo got so beaten up. And it must have crossed my desk because it had earnings coming up because I checked it later that day and it was up like 140%. So... And I mean, it's growing revenues in the triple digits. Yeah, it's going to be losing a lot of money for a while, but you kind of see how big of a market that is and if they succeed long term. But like you said, the problem is kind of get that SPAC stink attached to it. So it's one that even though the valuation was attractive, the growth rates high and all that, I just it's not one I could touch. At ninety-eight cents, so it, what what is a penny stock? Like the definition is that under a uh, dollar? Technically, but then I've I've seen a lot of people recall anything. Definitions can change, all right, Joey? Yeah, just like <laughs> people call stocks under five bucks penny stocks, and then you see how some people as you get richer small caps differently. <laughs> it's so weird. I call a penny stock something that's not a full bill. So fair enough. And as we get richer, we'll say five dollars. PayPal is probably a penny stock to some people. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the start of Spagmania because that just came from like so much money flowing that it had to go somewhere. But I will say like the same principle that we were just mentioning of once something is down for a long time and stops going down, like even if it's a bad mm-hmm. company, you know, like those things are likely like HKD 10,000%. Like it, it's not always 10,000%. It's very rarely, but like short squeezes happen because people are looking for those opportunities and those exploits. So like I would not be surprised that if slash should 
market conditions stay the same and or improve slightly, at least with like rotational moves towards like growth and tech and, and, and things that are beating earnings like this, like you will start seeing some craziness. And I would just say, don't forget what you learned in the last year and a half. Don't don't do that. Make sure you remember that that's only going to last for a little bit. And even in the best markets, something that goes straight up is stupid. I'm, so I'm slowly stuff. creeping in back into a uh, share care, but with like very, very cautious optimism because they're going to have earnings next week and that'll be it for me. I said, well, it's, so it's, it's going to rip our RIP. <laughs> rip. As we're talking SPACs, I think we have to talk about Open Door, which yeah. after the market closed, reported another quarter of just insane growth over 200%. Outlook on the third quarter is good. But the exciting thing for them was they partnered with Zillow officially. So, you know, Zillow killed off their iBuying unit because they realized they were not good at it and they were just losing so much money to do it. And now, you know, anybody that's going to sell or they're looking at their Zillow, they're going to be able to have an offer from Open Door. So if you're looking at it from Open Door standpoint, they're already buying so many homes. But now, you know, the most widely used real estate platform in the United States is going to have Open Door plastered all over it. Like this is it's. I feel like this is almost like their holy grail that they've been waiting for. Will they buy so, that? Like, won't they just buy Open Door? Well, so that's the thing. Open Door's valuation and like the market, it's so low right now that Zillow could see iBuying. They, for a while, they thought iBuying was like the future of their company. The problem was they sucked at it. So, this is a situation where they could kill their unit and acquire someone that knows how to do it. I right. love companies that realize. Why spend money developing something or why would we keep doing this because we suck at it when we could just acquire someone better than us or, you know, acquire a stake and let them like uh, absorb whatever they had of their clients. So this would be a great situation where if Zillow wanted to do it now, the housing market could face some tougher times. And even Open Door said, you know, they pulled back on certain things and they're being more uh, you have to be more financially responsible as situations change. But. You know, it's still, it's going to be a lucrative market over the long term. So this is something where if Zillow really wanted to, I feel like they could scoop open door on the cheap and just create an absolute monster. Yeah. And I think you'll start seeing that like more and more as conditions improve, right? Like it's the same principle of like you buy the, you know, the biggest, best names to like hunker down the fort and then you look around, you know, you want to make sure that you're good first and then you start dabbling in other endeavors bringing back the bonsai tony (laughs) it's always about the bonsai life is just balance so let's go back then to tweets of the week we used to we got tweets here by carl quintanilla elon musk cameron dawson and your boy tony high yield six so carl tony you sent me this tweet what did you like he was talking about cpi tracking yeah i mean i think that for the last like month or so i mean i've been pretty I mean, like I posted some tweets and stuff, but like we've talked about this on the pod extensively that the markets will show signs of life like before the actions of those in charge of it. So if you really think about that, like, I mean, before the Fed and before anyone who has anything to do with our money in this country period and the way that business and the economy flows before they make moves that are different than the moves they've been making for the last X months of over half a year they will need to see subsequent changes in data, like improving data, not one month of better data. They need to see like lasting changes in data. And 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 because they have to say that at a lag, like, I think it's important to note that market participants can view that 
in real time, right? Like that is the definition of inefficiencies in the market. Like, I don't think it's a perfect market hypothesis. I don't believe that. So if you really consider that, like, you know, this, this Cleveland Fed inflation forecast, which we've been pointing towards, like all the commodities, everything rates, mortgages going down and starting to show like improvements in the general back end of the economy, they're tracking extremely low for the month of July. But I mean, if this is proper, like if this is right, the, the Cleveland Fed's inflation forecast now shows July CPI tracking to 0.27%, which is 3.24% annualized. And that's the lowest rate since Jan 2021, which is a big collapse since we've had the nine plus percent changes. And so I, I don't know if this is real, but like, you know, it's if it's tracking this like set to decline, it, it, it would not be surprising to me. I mean, like we discussed the bullwhip, we discussed like all the commodities being down a ton and the lag on oil in general, like it takes time for it to hit the gas pump prices. That's like the perfect comparison. So I'm curious to see what happens tomorrow. Hopefully uh, we're starting to see that everything does revert to the mean time. I'm not laughing at you. Joey put some uh, funny pictures in here. <laughs> that's okay. Was this bad? That was, oh, wow. that was good. It just, that's just aggressive. <laughs> That's an aggressive picture to Dawson. Cameron Dawson. Why is it so bright? It's so bright. <laughs> All right. So you also uh, toss a tweet. We have to have Carl come on, I, I think. And people should explain their tweet. We have him call in and be like, explain your tweet. Cameron Dawson says, let's get real. Since the Fed meeting last week, real yields have been falling across the curve. Here we can see the both the five-year and two-year real yields falling back into negative territory, while the 10-year real yields are dancing right around zero. This is important for multiple reasons. And then there's a chart that's showing that five, 10, and two-year. We're seeing like actual changes for the first time in a while just across like the credit markets, right? Like, so she goes on further in the in the the, the thread. It's actually a pretty sick thread. So it's a good thread. You guys should check it out. But just to talk about like the real rates, you know, nominal minus inflation, and you're starting to see those like start to come down. And so I think we're just kind of seeing like conditions change and it is super weirdly ambiguous on many different fronts. Like if you, people are like saying like, oh, macro is so bad. Why is stocks going up? But it's like, you also have the fact that we have all the other countries where they're FX issues and people still flooding into the US. So the markets, once again, can, can stay rational longer than you can say solvent. You have conflicting macro data out there. You have specific companies doing really well on earnings, specific companies doing really poorly on earnings. And what we're going to get into at the end, I can't wait to talk about because that just this is a backdrop for all of it, Avi. Uh, we're here though, Tony. And on to High Yield 6, an incredible tweet that reminded me a lot of what you were saying pre-show, which I cannot wait because you were just going old school, Tony, psycho mode. Uh, he goes, the markets only care about QE. Rate hikes are not as effective as QT when it comes to stalling equity markets. All the reporting shows the Fed has not really reduced its balance sheet. Would explain the market strength. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I guess we can just get started into the backdrop of it. I want to talk like this chart for a second because, you know, I, once again, like I know a lot of people are getting comfy. And one thing he always likes to say is like everyone feeling comfy again. And so it's like one of those times where, you think like, hey, if this is a really big bear market, you take your winnings and like you just kind of chill and you and you work through it. You hold those big, strong names that you want to if you want to. But you don't like necessarily push the pedal until everything kind of comes in sync. And yeah, the market might be higher by then, but you're less likely for this to be a big bear market rally and catch you back down. 
um, which is what that chart, like if you compare it to 2008 versus now. However, the biggest difference of all of this is that QE started out of 2008. And basically there was a tweet showing how the Fed's balance sheet can necessarily only go down so much before like they really are not going to be able to do that like to take it out, out like of their balance sheets. Forget if it was like a billion or one trillion or 1.2 or 2.2 or something, but it's like, it's not the whole amount that they did, right? Are they going to like completely reduce it back to where it was? Like, I don't, that's just not how this is going to roll. And if they do, they know that it's not going to work. And I don't even think it's like logistically as possible as people are just like saying, we're going to completely roll every single dollar off the balance sheet. It's just not how that, or every single security and asset we have and, and dollar and bonds and everything off the balance sheet. It's just not how that's going to work. And so getting into this entire thing, Avi, of I love that people are like looking at history and comparing history. And like some of the analogies have been very ridiculous. Like if you look at the arc chart versus the dot com, like NASDAQ in 2001, nearly identical. However, again, we don't we didn't have QE back then. And yes, QE got us like pretty much into this mess because too much of a good thing is a bad thing. But like questioning if it's even a good thing in the first place. But it is the thing. And in that time, since 2008, a lot has happened. A lot of big changes have happened. You have Amazon, you have Apple, you have Google, you have Microsoft, you have a bunch of other names that are right under that class and right under that class. And those did not exist back then. And they did not have the backings and the standings and like the how do I say institutionalization of them as an entity? If you consider the different indices that have this, right? Like 30% of the S&P, like nearly 50% of the NASDAQ, like these are the names that are not going down. Like Google only went down 30. Amazon was like specific, but went down a lot. Microsoft, barely 30. You know, Apple, barely 30, 40. Like it's like these names do not drop the 80% like things used to and in like in these climates in this market you're starting to think that hey like the mechanics like the actual like underlying nuts and bolts of it are pointed towards like a zoom out long term left bottom right to up i need you to get into the tin hat stuff man you're and you're getting there i mean yeah with the ownership we were talking about like oh yeah i mean thing. i mean like that was if, the cool riff that i wanted you, to you yeah right, off off. <laughs> you, you can yeah it's all a ponzi everything is just up because people want it up because everyone has it up avi that's the only it's just it's so fucked the world economic forum talks about you will own nothing and you'll like it and then we were just talking i was like wait a second my cell phone's already rented you know the internet's rented, rented all the bills are rented everything and you're like, like wait a second this is SaaS life <laughs> it's SaaS life it's live as a service because even the shares you have in your account of the companies you think you own like it's a, it's not it's like pretty much like an electric iou so pretty much everything right like your cell phone you, like you can have your phone but then the service is as a, like literally the service is as a service right, right? like if you look at blackrock and this is really interesting to go into crypto because they just partnered with Coinbase today. And like Coinbase has always been the lead in institutional onboarding. Like that's a big, that's a big like bottom foundation for economics yeah. that they're doing in housing right now where they're buying like thousand home communities and Goldman Sachs just bought $200 million worth of Palm Beach homes that they're going to rent out in a whole community. So it's like live as a service everywhere you go and makes me even consider how much more bullish I actually might be on Airbnb. But basically in the long run because of everything the way it is and because the us as it stands is the safety net like when people need something to invest in you're much more likely to invest in something in the us especially when like you can't forget the fact that the dollar is the dollar 
like the commodities that build everything around the world most of that is dollar paid and that's just the way that that's just the way the news goes so the world will only end once like can this get worse obviously should it get worse i have no idea i don't really i don't really think some i think some things should not get worse and i think some things will revert back and get worse however if you believe that there's going to be bigger problems if the u.s just buckles right well, i love the optimism and, I, and i'm starting to feel a little more but still like I don't know. I mean, there's what's the worst? Empires. What's the worst thing? What's <laughs> America, the we're a second half team, as, as Zeland likes to say. What's this thing about the Stanford prisoner? I forgot why we wrote that down. Oh, because it's so insane. People, you know, depending on the conditions of the market, and this is what creates these like stupid liquidations and these crazy short squeezes. Like we were talking about this before, Avi, the Stanford prison, where this experiment, I'm sure like most people will learn about this in their like college class or whatever. But basically you take on the role of the, you take on the attributes of the person whose role you're taking on. So basically like, you know, if you're the prisoner, you're going to be like a bad prisoner. If you're a guard, you're going to be a harsh like individual with like, right. The, gu- the guards started like beating the prisoners right. as they right. were told it was okay. Right. Yeah. yeah this so it's like the same thing happens in the market, right? Like, and, and you can think about it, like these stocks are building their own personalities and like they're shaping it based off all these numbers and fundamentals. Like, you can look at the different stocks and you can see how they're acting, right? Like Joey and I like the same stocks because we have the same mental screener. Right. Like Joey likes D Dog because of the same reasons I like D Dog and then a couple other ones. And I like it for a couple different ones. But like you got to hit enough of the things of it being a good personality stock. Your stock's got to be somebody that you like you would go to the bar with, you know, <laughs> and not worry if they're going to throw up on the table and not pay the tab. Right. That's actually like, please, how- I'm up like four thousand percent on monkeypox right now. So, Joey, I want to end the episode with something you always talk about. And you always say like, stay in the market, no matter what. And if you look at stats, like that fact rings true, right? If you just zoom out, stocks do go up over like a 10 year period. So there's this crazy image that I saw that I wanted you to walk through about what the benefits are. So this is something I was taught a long time ago. And luckily it finally stuck with me maybe 2012 or 13 when I stopped, you know, over trading, trying to you know, move to cash, get invested, all this stuff. So how the stat goes is, you know, it shows like the performance of the S&P 500 over decades. And this particular one that you're talking about is just the S&P 500 from January 1st, 2002 to December 31st, 2021. And how it goes is if you just missed the 10 best up days in the market, your gains were cut in half. Had you just been fully vested the entire time, your gains would be double than you know the person that missed those 10 days. So that's what I always say, you know, I'm never going to time the bottom perfectly. I'm never going to time the top perfectly to move to cash and all this stuff. So I don't play those games. I'm always fully vested. And what I'll do is what we've explained before, where I'll reposition capital, where I'll sell a name that I think has fallen out of favor greatly and could fall out of favor more significantly, say like a Roku in the mid hundreds, where you know, at one point I was sitting on massive gains when the stock was pushing, you know, 300, 400. Even I got overzealous with the name thinking, you know, how big this could really be long term. And then when things, when the situation changes and I reevaluate and I'm seeing, okay, the growth rate is going to slow mightily. There's a lot of hardware exposure, all the, all the headwinds facing the company. Then I realized like, I'd rather ditch a Roku, not try to slingshot it back to where it was going 
but you know, reposition that capital into a name that I don't have to worry about, whether that's an Amazon, a Google, something like that. So yeah, I will sell stocks based on the the current conditions or economic environment, everything. But I'm always going to reposition that capital elsewhere for this exact reason. Because, you know, if even if I were to sell a bunch of stocks today thinking, hey, we've rallied so much, we're definitely going to fall tomorrow. What if tomorrow is one of those 10 days and it just completely ruins my long-term gains? So I'm not going to guess those and I'm just going to stay vested. And yeah, it's it's hurt a lot because I could have sold a lot in November, December, January and probably saved some losses. But I didn't know whether it was in January or February, March, you know, when things were going to improve and get better. And yeah, it sucks that it didn't take until late June or mid June for things to actually bottom out. No one knew that was. And, you know, even as we've been going up the last couple of weeks, everybody's either saying, you know, they're not convinced we're going back to the lows or, you know, we might not go back to those lows, but we're definitely going to head lower. I'm not even going to play that game of guessing. Hey, you know, we could go up, we could go down. But I think 10 years from now, I'm going to be very happy with the stocks that I'm positioned in right now. So that's how you got to think of it. Think of the long-term gain. And like Avi was even saying earlier, you know, if you zoom out far enough, every single decline in the market has been a buying opportunity thus far. Why would this be any different? Like, yeah, it could suck in the very short term, but long-term, if you think out far enough and you've got the right positions and you're taking the right risk, then you'll be just fine. So Joey, then I got to ask, like during the COVID crash, you were just, you just held on for dear life and, and just weathered the storm there? I was fully vested the entire time. And what I was doing was I was repositioning some capital as needed. So one thing I will say, it was funny. So I went on paternity leave like January 6th, 7th or 8th. My son was born January 8th, 2020. And uh, I had like a running joke as the market kept tanking. I was returning from paternity leave March 23rd. So I kept telling everybody, hey, don't worry, I'll be back March 23rd. That's going to be the bottom. So I just picked that day. And I think it was that morning that I bought Datadog pre-market at like 27.90 something. Like it, it wasn't even like a real low because it only hit it pre-market. I ended up buying the rest of the position in the 30s because that's where things started to take that turn. It was actually that week. Now, I in no way was that a prediction. It was just like a running joke that I had to almost play into it. But yeah, that's what I was doing. I was making sure I was positioned in the the names I had the most confidence in. So, you know, there's an old saying like concentrate to get rich, diversify to stay rich. So like in times where the market is just going down, it's like I wanted to concentrate into my absolute favorite names because, you know, I didn't know just how bad it was going to get during those COVID lows. Like a lot of people thought like this is going to go from recession to depression, like things it's not like this decline we've seen since November, where it's almost like, you know, we were down 1% every single day for months. COVID, it was like we were down 40% uh, in like three or four weeks. And remember the days where we were limit down at the open? Mm. I think it happened like two or three different times. Like that was a whole different world. But I think that was more, that was easier to stomach because it was so quick. It was like a band aid. Right. Where this is like death by a thousand right cuts. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It was so quick. Where this one, you know, from November to June, it was like, yeah, you're constantly getting like stabbed with a toothpick. Like it was just a it was cuts. for the longest time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and you know, we we could not be out of this. It could definitely get worse. You know, there's a lot of things hanging over our head. And, and you know, the semiconductor industry is now like a huge question mark. 
Um, But don't worry, Nancy's husband sold all of his positions before her trip when she's, you know, poking a bear. So there's just a lot of things that, you know, the biggest risk facing the market right now, we've talked about this before, is Taiwan. And I feel like that is getting more and more significant, which we really don't want to come into play because that would just make so many headaches for the entire tech sector. So like I said, you know, stay vested, but, you know, we all have different strategies to do that. And I know where I'm always like fully into stock and we've talked about, you know, if you get to a time where you're feeling like, hey, the market's definitely turning and you want to try different strategies, whether it's, you know, sell some puts or buy some in the money calls. Tony has a lot of great strategies around the options place. So if people are like reluctant to deploy capital and want to have a more conservative or, you know, less capital intensive approach, then I think he's going to be the guy to talk to. And I know he has a lot on that topic. Yeah, I, th- I think people misconstrue like the use of options. Like you can run the math a lot of different ways. And there's certain plays that you can make at certain times that like I, I would venture to say it's like the majority of any gains I've made in the market came from those exact strategies just because the risk reward and you don't have to deploy a ton of capital. Like you can keep cash while having the same exposure. And, you know, you're not going to care if something's down like Amazon was a perfect example. Like I was talking about those January 2024 leaps, like I'll be exercising those in probably like a year or two. And if you think, you know, certain names like that, it's really opportune situations with very low premiums because just getting, like you said, Joey, the negative one to 2% every day, like that IV dies to the upside. And so you could get really good opportunities. But yeah, I think like one thing I want to just ca- like caveat all this with is just, I think that people get too caught up in whether the quote unquote market is doing well. And it's like, you can see that under the hood, there's like things that are always kind of doing well or doing poorly. And like, you know, you can trade on both ends. So like, if you look over here at like, you know, we're talking about Mealy and we talk about these other names that have done really, like Net has done really well on earnings. Like if we were to cycle back lower, do you think that they will go back to the lows pre that earnings report? There are ways to check more boxes in terms of risk reward and, and and managing your portfolio, especially now, because there's more data, right? Like N equals 32, my favorite number in math, because it takes 32 samples to get a perfect normal distribution at least. So if you really think about it, like more data points, if everyone wanted to sell, they would sell during their earnings report in bleak times. So you got to think about it like that, I think as well. We are wrapping things up, but as I mentioned earlier in the show, me and Tony are going to be on YouTube. I'm going to have them show me some tricks on how to play some of these options during times like these. So we're very excited. Huge shout out once again to our sponsors over at StockTwits, and we will be back next week for another episode of Pounding the Table. There are other companies you'll see that you know laid off thousands of people and then are using cash for a buyback or other purposes. So you're thinking like, yeah, that, it's not the most ethical, but you know they'll still be in those ESG funds. Um, so no worries there. But 